Hello, and welcome to the Tata Cancer Podcast, where we will discuss the physical and mental elements of healing from a breast cancer diagnosis. My name is Junie Boucher. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a breast cancer survivor. When you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you're forced to make life-changing decisions with so much information that's really hard to sift through. My intention is to help provide you with the information you need to make a decision that's going to align your body, mind, and heart so that you can live your best life going forward. I'm going to be your new breast friend. Okay, let's do this. The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice. Please always consult with your doctor for any of your medical needs. Hello, everybody. Um, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here and to be doing this. Thank you so much for listening. This is the inaugural episode of the Tata Cancer Podcast. (laughs) So I figured it would only be appropriate to start this by giving you a little bit of background and telling you my own breast cancer story and, um, you know, just kind of going from there. We'll also talk a little bit at the end about, you know, ways that you can find breast cancer, what are some of the symptoms, as well as, you know, what to do once you're first diagnosed, you know, just a a little bit of information, because we're really going to dig into that in later episodes. But this is going to be a much more personal version of, you know, things. So, you know, if we, I figured we should go back a little bit, and I can tell you, some of my health history because I've kind of always been a little bit of a, um, I don't know if you want to call it an early achiever (laughs) with health stuff. Um, But, you know, I was first diagnosed with some health issues in high school when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is a super common thing, typically diagnosed at, you know, more, much more older. I was, gosh, I guess 16 when I was diagnosed. And I grew up doing a lot of singing. That was, you know, my first love in the arts world growing up. And I just started to notice that I had kind of, I was clearing my throat a lot and it was really freaking me out because, you know, I was singing sometimes for up to three or five hours a day because I did a lot of musical theater. I was in a band, all that kind of stuff. And so I went to see an ear, nose and throat specialist and they found a nodule on my thyroid, which is a very common way of discovering that someone has Hashimoto's thyroiditis. They had to do this thing called a fine needle biopsy, which was super scary because they basically put this enormous needle into my neck and pulled out like suction out cells. And then they tested that and then they determined, um, that it was, you know, a non-cancerous growth. So they started to look into it further. They did some blood work and they discovered that I had really high antibodies and that I had Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So cut to later on in life, um, when, you know, I decided I didn't want to go on medication right away. I just kind of wanted to see where it went. I didn't do any kind of lifestyle interventions. I did eventually get on some synthetic thyroid hormone because that's what that does. The it's a it's a 
It's an autoimmune disease where your body actually attacks itself. But I, um, in my, I guess I would have been in my 30s is when I really started to kind of look into how food and lifestyle could impact things like this. I just really wasn't feeling my best. And, um, you know, it was very clear from the research I did that experimenting with your diet could actually have a lot of power with Hashimoto's specifically. And um, so I removed gluten from my diet. I um, started experimenting with the Paleolithic diet. It's a grain-free kind of anti-inflammatory diet, no dairy, um, really just kind of going for whole foods. And that was an amazing experience because basically my thyroid antibodies went to undetectable levels. Um, when I would go see a new doctor and I would tell them about it, they were kind of amazed because when they would test me, they wouldn't see any of this, um, there. I do still have the nodule, but it hasn't grown or changed. It might've even shrunk. I haven't had an ultrasound in a little bit, but you know, basically I was able to put the Hashimoto's like completely under control. I do still have to take thyroid hormone, but, um, I haven't had any issues with it for a while. Now, in my 30s, and let's just say maybe, so I was an early achiever for health issues, but I was a little bit of a late bloomer in terms of just growing up with my lifestyle. So in my 30s, you know, I was living this LA art lifestyle. I was living in in a warehouse. It's kind of in this like underground art scene. And, you know, I wouldn't say that I had the healthiest lifestyle. I didn't eat terribly. I've always been a good eater, especially since the whole thyroid thing. But um, I was certainly not living a very healthy lifestyle. I was I was a bit of a party girl. I definitely smoked cigarettes more than I am uh, proud to admit. And I just kind of had that youthful sense that I was invincible and that I could kind of do whatever I wanted. And, um, you know, I always struggled with my weight, but it wasn't like a huge problem. And, um, yeah. So anyway, let's fast forward a little bit. Um, I went through, I was living in Puerto Rico. I was in a relationship. I, um, was engaged. I was very much in love and then cut to an excruciating breakup. So I, I really got my heart just broken. Um, and you know, a lot of this is this, I find this very interesting actually, and we're going to discuss this in more detail in future episodes, but a lot of women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer a few years prior have had like some kind of a major, um, sometimes major emotional trauma, different types of trauma, a really painful heartbreak. And, um, so I had this very painful heartbreak. My, um, I moved to, I moved home. I had to kind of reset up my whole life and, um, you know, I was doing, it took me a while 
took me a couple years. I thought I was doing pretty well. I was in a new relationship. I was happy. Things were going great. I actually felt like my health was in a pretty awesome place. And uh, I was walking my dog uh, one morning and it was before work and I had a kind of a bad habit of you know, pushing things until it was very close to clocking in the time. I worked from home, but I still had to clock in and all that fun stuff. And I'm walking the dog. I didn't have a bra on, and I just happened to um, be passing by a neighbor in the apartment complex I was living at. And um, and in my modesty, I, you know, held up my hands to cover my breast, so to prevent that jiggle, uh, which probably looked even more awkward than it would have looked if I did have that jiggle. And I noticed a lump. And it was so weird because I just feel like I hadn't noticed anything like that before. It just felt like it appeared out of nowhere. Um, I went back inside. I talked to my boyfriend at the time, and I said, you know, do you feel this? He did, and so right away I called my doctor. I feel super grateful because they actually were able to get me a same-day appointment and went to the doctor. Um, The doctor felt the lump. She could feel it. She said, you know, I, I don't really think that it's probably anything, but let's go ahead and get you some further testing. So they set me up with an ultrasound and um the good thing about an ultrasound well or at least what they told me was that when they did the ultrasound and the mammogram they should be able to tell if there was really anything to worry about like i.e if it was a cyst because that apparently is extremely common and um so it was a couple days later that i went for the ultrasound And God, just thinking about it makes my heart just fall. Um, So I go in for the ultrasound, and I remember that day (laughs) that I just kind of wanted to get it over with. It had been a couple days since my initial exam and the mammogram, and I just was like, can we just be done with this? Because this is kind of stressing me out. Like, just tell me it's a cyst already. Let's be done with this. So I go in for the ultrasound, and I had kind of fought with my partner, I mean, he really wanted to come and I didn't want him to come. And then finally, I he just kept insisting, which thank goodness that he did. So he came with me. I go in for the ultrasound and man, it was, they're just taking a really long time. And I don't know if it was my intuition kicking in or what, but there was a point when just my whole body started to shake and the nurse that was doing the ultrasound she um was marking a lot of things and then the doctor came in and there was a lot of silent pointing which made me feel very uncomfortable and um then the doctor said to me in this way that felt almost too chipper (laughs) Um, so we, we see two masses and, uh, we think that you probably have breast cancer. And I will tell you that I was just absolutely not prepared for that. 
I was not prepared to hear those words. And I don't think anybody's ever prepared to hear those words. I, um, you know, so many people when I had initially found the lump and before the ultrasound, I'd said, oh yeah, that happened to me and it was nothing. So I was really prepared to hear it was nothing and to hear it was something just absolutely floored me. So when they said that, and they just seemed so sure, which at that point I didn't know, I mean, how can they know? Don't they have to do a biopsy first? And they said that there are ways that breast cancer looks on an ultrasound that can make them pretty sure. And I said, well, well, what percentage sure do you think you are? Because this just seems crazy that you could tell this now. And the doctor said, I'm about 90% sure. And in terms of percentages of sure, 90% is uh, pretty darn sure. So they said, you know, go ahead and put your clothes on. We'd like to do a biopsy right now, but we need to sterilize the room and prepare things. So I go out to the waiting room. My boyfriend was there and I, I just started crying and, you know, he hugged me and it was, it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, there were so many people in this waiting room. Um, so we kind of stood aside and, and I told him what had happened and he couldn't believe it either. And we were just waiting there. Um, there was a woman actually kind of losing her shit <laughs> at the, um, reception desk because they wouldn't give her, I think it was a, a mammogram or something. I don't know. Something with her insurance, they were battling it out and, um, she was being really rude to the people there, but then she actually, <laughs> she was actually very compassionate with me. I think she could see that I was also losing my shit, but handling it in a little bit of a different way. So they do the biopsy, um, which is pretty traumatizing experience on its own. And then they had me go do another mammogram uh, which was kind of crazy because, yeah, my breast, you know, they had just gone in and um, they did the other breast again. And then I had to go home and wait for the confirmation. So we had actually had this trip planned to go out to Yosemite. And um, we were thinking about canceling that, but we decided to go forward. Uh, and it was, this was in July, so it was a summer we went up to an area called Mariposa. It's gorgeous. I think that was actually a great decision to be out in this beautiful, natural environment. And um, my ex and his kids had gone to the lake uh, to do some swimming, and I had decided to stay back. I was pretty discombobulated emotionally and having some alone time sounded good and I started watching this comedy special by uh Tig Nataro and it was so crazy because the story that she actually told about her breast cancer diagnosis um was very very similar to what ended up being my story in terms of like having this diagnosis um, you know, kind of thinking it was nothing and then having it be something. And, um, so yeah, so I'm watching this, I'm crying. 
I'm freaking out because we were so far out in the wilderness that we really couldn't get very good reception. And so I gave them my, um, I had given the doctor's office my ex's number so they could call him. And then I do get a call from him saying that the doctor's office is trying to reach me with a number to call them back. And um, they raced home so that I could use his phone because my phone wasn't getting reception. And that's when I had that phone call that changed my life. So I get the call from the doctor. I finally reached the doctor. And um, again, this guy was just, he just felt so, he felt so chipper, (laughs) which I found really, um, it was really bothering me. (laughs) But, um, and he kept saying, I just want you to know we're going to be with you every step of the way, which, what a kind, appropriate thing to say, but for some reason was really like um, annoying me. And I think it was my denial, just like super duper charge, because how dare he try to support me through something that was not happening. Anyway, so what they told me was, and these I'm actually reading my notes that I wrote that um, that call that clearly I have a very shaky hand that I had an in- invasive carcinoma that it had moved beyond the ducts, the milk ducts, that it was a mixed type, ductal, milk ducts, and lobular, um, This that it was grade two, four to five centimeters in size, and that I was probably going to need chemo and radiation, and that if I wanted breast reconstruction, that that would be covered by my insurance. So, um, yeah, I mean... I think every person diagnosed with breast cancer will remember that phone call. I can still feel the kitchen. I can feel my elbows on the counter as, you know, just hot tears stream down my face and watching the look on my boyfriend's face, knowing that, you know, we had a long road ahead of us. So (laughs) that day, I remember... One of the funny things about that day was, you know, we knew that news was coming. We just needed to hear it. And I remember saying, okay, if I have cancer, I am making motherfucking cookies because I'm going to need to self-soothe and I'm going to need to do it in whatever way I possibly can. And that's had always been my go-to kind of growing up in the world, uh, cookies (laughs) cookies were the answer cookies are not the answer for me anymore um not that you know that's an like a thing but kind of is a thing um so anyway I made these oatmeal raisin cookies which uh, my ex and his kids were like so not into because they're basically like oatmeal raisin cookies is is pretty much a granola bar that's not a cookie that's a granola bar you want a cookie you go chocolate chip everybody knows this but you know hey I wanted oatmeal raisin cookies I had just been diagnosed with cancer I got to have my way that day and I made a ton of oatmeal raisin cookies I like way more than we ever needed So um, we were able to kind of try to enjoy the rest of that trip. We still had a couple days there. And my goodness, um, if this is what you're going through right now, my heart goes out to you because I think about that woman 
And I think about the people that loved me that were around me that day. Um, It was like a slew of phone calls and texts and telling people. And, um, you know, that was my choice at the time. If I were to go back and do it differently, I might have been a little bit more quiet about it. But I just felt like I had to put out the broadcast for some reason. And there were a lot of people that were like kind of waiting on the pending news as well. And I felt like I had to let them know. But I spent like the next couple days just on my phone and that may have been another means of escape, you know, and I give that former me grace because I don't know, you do what you can in the moment. Uh, And that's one of the things that I would like to do with this podcast is provide you with coping strategies and things that um, reminders about you know what your responsibilities are because I felt so responsible to tell everybody and to kind of be strong for everybody else too and um, I think that's a really common thing so yeah it was a couple weeks of really just kind of freaking out and getting really scared and waking up in the middle of the night feeling like I'm having a panic attack and um you know one of the one of the most beautiful moments of my life actually came out of those first couple weeks and I remember I woke up I think it might have been the day that I had gotten that call might have been a day later I don't know it's all kind of a blur and I couldn't sleep I woke up in the middle of the night and I was so scared and just freaking out so in my head and I you know my partner was checking on me and um he was half asleep and just intuitively for some reason he knew we were still at this beautiful cabin he knew to just take me outside and go look at the stars it was a beautiful clear night the scar the stars were so bright and It just kind of helped me feel connected to the universe as a whole. And I don't know why that made me feel less alone. But that night, I've created actually a lot of art around that. I created an embroidery piece. And I also, um, the meditation that I include in the breast cancer grounding kit, that's specifically for this time in the process when you are just, you just, don't even know up and down Um, and your heart is so scared it inspired some of the guided visualizations for that particular meditation which I will link in the show notes it's a free download please please um, if you think that'll be of use to you uh, or of use to somebody else please go download it I made that with love for you and um, it really helped so yeah, after that trip and after talking to a lot of people, um, started down the road to treatment. And at this point in my life, you know, I had already seen the power of food and lifestyle, but food especially, I think. So not only did I have my, uh, you know, breast surgeon, my plastic surgeon, my oncologist, I also had a naturopathic oncologist and I started working with remission nutrition 
who specializes in sort of the metabolic approach to cancer, which we'll talk about in um, one of the upcoming episodes in terms of nutrition protocols. And so I was just kind of getting like everything on it. (laughs) I am super lucky because my work was incredibly supportive. They, um, you know, they basically said, do whatever you need to do. I went on medical disability pretty quickly because I just felt like I needed to put everything I had into this. I know that's not a decision that everybody makes, but I want to let you know that there is no shame in that. And I think that was so, so um, wonderful for me to be able to just put everything I had into taking care of myself during that time. So my doctors had talked to me about a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. And one thing I did not know at the beginning of this process was that really they can estimate what's going on through the biopsy. They can estimate the size of your tumor and what's going on, but they really don't know exactly what's going on until they get in there. Now, I opted to go for a mastectomy because I was super afraid of the chemo and radiation. And if I did a lumpectomy, um, and almost anybody that does a lumpectomy, you're probably going to have to do a uh, radiation course behind that so that they can, you know, make sure that they're getting everything. With a mastectomy, it is a more invasive surgery. That's when they remove the entire breast. Um, but if you do that, there you you don't necessarily need radiation. Um, so I decided that I wanted to go that route, and um, I felt okay with it. I tried to do some work around it, and um, I did my research. I decided to do the mastectomy, but I had never had a major surgery in my entire life. <laughs> so there was a lot of fear just around you know, going under. Um, Kaiser, who was my medical provider at the time, actually was really cool about giving patients resources. So they had sent information about this guided visualization for a successful surgery. And um, that's one of the resources that I want to create specifically for a mastectomy surgery Um, because this was sort of more just like a generalized guided visualizations for surgery. There is scientific evidence to back up like that, that can contribute to just less anxiety and better outcomes for the patient. And I will tell you that helped me so, so much. I would listen to it sometimes twice a day just to kind of imagine and believe that this was going to be a successful surgery, that there weren't going to be complications and that I could manage my anxiety around it. And um, so it took them a super long time to schedule my surgeries because I was a candidate for an immediate reconstruction. Now, an immediate reconstruction is when they actually will remove your breast tissue and do um, put an implant in at the same time so that when you wake up, you still have a breast mound and some believe that that is less traumatic if you are a female um, that you don't have to wake up without a breast 
Uh, and based off of my health history and the size of my breasts and my weight and stuff, I was a candidate for this for what they call a nipple sparing, skin sparing, immediate mastectomy with immediate reconstruction. So what that meant was that they were going to go underneath the breast, remove the breast tissue, do a biopsy of my nipple to make sure that my nipple didn't, the cancer hadn't spread to my nipple, um, but that I would get to keep the skin, keep the nipple. Um, They would put the implant in there, put a piece of mesh, which for me was cadaver tissue, and um, then they would sew me back up. They also took out the sentinel lymph node and some of the surrounding lymph nodes that's how they try to figure well that's how they find out if your cancer is spread or not so yeah took them forever to get that surgery scheduled which was probably the most stressful part because I couldn't know what stage I was at um confirmation of the size of the tumor whether it had spread that's a big big scary question uh, until they were able to do it. So I think it took about four to six weeks, if not longer, for them to get the surgery scheduled. But they eventually did. I went in. Um, I had family and friends around me. They were really sweet about letting family and friends come in. And um, But what had happened was there was all this delay with the uh, surgery before me. So my surgery kept getting pushed off and pushed off and pushed off. And they were almost going to push me to another day. And I, I just broke down crying and I just said, please, please, I need to do this. I, I, I just, I had felt like I had been holding pretty steady, but the idea of not being able to do my surgery that day after so much had built up to that, I just felt like I was going to break Luckily, they did um, get me in that day, but like it was super late. My brother had flown in um, from Los Angeles and and it was just, you know, his flight kind of schedule was getting all screwed up, but they got me in. Everything went well. I was supposed to go home that day because nowadays they send you home. Even if you've had a mastectomy, it's considered an outpatient surgery, uh, which is very different than back in the day. But because my surgery had occurred so late, they actually kept me overnight. Um, my ex, being the wonderful person that he is, he stayed with me. He slept on a chair. And um, I just remember, you know, throughout the night, it's all kind of foggy. I just remember throughout the night, I did have some pain, not crazy pain, but they were giving me some insane painkillers. <laughs> I think they gave me fentanyl. And something else that I just remember being like, ooh, those are the, those are the scary ones. And um, I remember just feeling it going through the IV and being like, wow, okay, this is insane. Um, <laughs> and so I go back, I go home the next day, I check out, they send you with a ton of drugs. Um, they are really adamant about making sure that you poop as soon as you can, but also knowing that you will probably not poop for a couple days because they, um, the anesthesia really kind of just slows everything down. And, um, 
Yeah, so I go home. I had all the things, like the wedge pillow, because you have to sleep kind of upright. Um, My ex was taking such good care of me. I mean, I didn't want to eat a lot. I was just kind of sleeping and taking the pain meds. I'm not really big on pain meds, but, you know, those first – they give you those for a reason. Don't be afraid to take them if you need them. But from a lot of women that I've talked to – They say that they don't have a lot of pain. It is considered one of the less painful surgeries, but it's still a major surgery. So yeah, I slept a lot and um, watched a lot of TV. And um, my dog was very snuggly and protective, which was super cute. And I just kind of laid low for a while. I did eventually poop, but that took a a sec. Um, And... So they get back to me. It takes about a week sometimes to get the information back for the pathology report. And that's where you're going to get a lot of the answers that you're waiting for. And what they told me with the pathology report was that, um, it, yeah, so this was interesting. I They only found one mass instead of two, which was kind of confusing. It was probably about half the size. They had originally estimated that it was four to five centimeters. It was only two centimeters, that it was only one type of cancer instead of two because they thought it was uh, invasive ductal and lobular, but it was only invasive ductal carcinoma, which is the most common type of cancer, that it was hormonally driven, ER, PR positive, HER2 negative, which means that hormones... um, means that my cancer cells have hormone receptors, so estrogen and progesterone can drive my cancer. And um, But this is a very common type of cancer. It's very treatable, and it's not incredibly aggressive. So um, that meant that I was very early stage. So that was all great. I was stage one. They had originally thought I was probably about stage two. Um. The bad news was that they didn't get what they call a clear margin. And a clear margin is basically an amount of tissue that is cancer-free. So they want to have some cancer-free tissue removed so they know that there was a margin of tissue around what they took so that, you know, it's the likelihood of them missing any cancer is very low. So what they told me about that was, well, we are recommending a second surgery. Now, they had done a mastectomy, and it kind of felt like, well, you guys took everything, didn't you? But because of the way that my cancer, my tumor was, which was about at the 2 o'clock point on a clock, um, that it was so close to the skin that they had probably gotten everything, but they just couldn't be sure, so they wanted to go back in and take a little bit more tissue. I um, I decided to move forward on that, even though they told me that in 99 out of 100 cases that they had already gotten it and it's probably unnecessary, but that they still had to recommend it to me. I decided to go forward with a second surgery. Um, this meant that as opposed to having a pretty non-visible scar just underneath my breast I was going to have a big scar right around sort of the top left 
corner of my breast and that there would probably be like an indentation. Now I was going to have this big scar. Okay, whatever. I can deal with it. They did the second surgery on Halloween and um, everything was successful. I will tell you that going in for that second surgery, I felt a lot more mentally stable. Um, Just knowing I had gone through it before somehow made it easier to go through that second surgery for me. And um, that surgery was successful. Woohoo! And they also were able to do something called the Oncotype test. So this is an amazing thing that uh, we have available to us as breast cancer patients because where they are able to determine if your specific cancer will be receptive to chemotherapy or if it'll be more harmful than beneficial. So this was the second thing that I had to wait for. Actually, the third thing. So first thing was waiting for a surgery date. Second thing was waiting for the pathology report. Third thing was waiting for this Oncotype score. So in my experience, one of the hardest things about cancer is just all the waiting. You have to continuously surrender to this lack of control that you have. And a lot of breast cancer patients, and we are, this is another podcast episode we're going to talk about, are people who like to be in control. Um, There is a particular personality type that is often associated with cancer. And um, we don't like to be out of control. So it's it's a test. It's such a test in so many ways. So the Oncotype score finally does come back. And um, luckily for me, my score showed that chemotherapy was going to be more harmful than beneficial. So they were recommending that I do hormone replacement therapy, which is for me as a premenopausal woman, Tamoxifen. Tamoxifen is a, um, it blocks the estrogen. It blocks estrogen. So it's a hormone blocker. Lots of stuff we can talk about with tamoxifen. But um, so I was given a prescription for tamoxifen. And then I was basically sent on my way. Cancer treatment is not an exact science. That's another one of the hardest elements of it. Everything kind of has this like negative and positive to it and you you really have to advocate for yourself. You have to listen to your intuition, listen to your doctor's advice and put it all together and figure out what you're going to do and usually in a very short. So I decided to, you know, go for a more holistic approach. I continued to work with a naturopathic oncologist. Obviously, I'm still monitored by my regular Um, oncologist but I've gone really deep into the nutrition I'm very um, conscientious of what I am putting on my body and what kind of cleaning products that I'm using I'm very protective of my stress levels and even you know toxins when we talk about toxins and lowering your toxin load toxic load that you know you have to be protective of emotional toxins as well I've had to work on my boundaries I've had to look at my personality and this is all a work in progress but (laughs) I will tell you that I feel better today than I ever have um, health-wise mentally and physically 
Um, I made major life changes. I decided to go back to school because I wanted to um, take my passion for nutrition and wellness and make that my career. And um, so I went back to school during the pandemic of 2020. I got certified as a nutritional therapy practitioner. I'm doing continuing education for holistic cancer care and also in mindfulness training. And I have created a business that is focused on breast cancer patients and survivors, um, but also just really looking at hormones, how our hormones get out of whack. And um, that brings me to where we are today. But because I've, you know, healing is so much more than food and exercise. It's so much about your heart, your grudges, your resentments, your limiting beliefs. And these are all things that we're going to talk about on this podcast. So, you know, I'm going to talk about food stuff, how to figure out what is best for you, because there are so many different opinions out there. And I want to tell you how you can decide what is going to fit your lifestyle the best. But we're also going to talk about exercise. We're going to talk about journaling. We're going to talk about the power of affirmations, mindfulness, mindfulness and meditation. That's like huge, so huge because you have to handle your stress. I have seen stress derail some of the best efforts. But do not worry, we are going to talk about all of this on the podcast. I just want to give people tools. I want to be able to help you assemble this information so you can make the best decisions for you. Um, So let's shift gears a little bit and talk a bit about how you find breast cancer. So, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably already found your breast cancer, but just some things to look for. I mean, obviously you want to make sure you're getting your recommended mammogram schedule taken care of, but you know, you want to look for any kind of changes, like get to know your breasts. I mean, I found my cancer by accident. I was not good about the recommending recommended feel it on the first. So they say at the first of the month, you should check your breasts. Um, you can go online, you can get like a, a breast cancer, um, you know, self breast exam guidelines. And essentially you're just kind of working clockwise to detect any changes. You want to notice if there's any change in the appearance of your breast. If you see any dimpling indentation, orange peel, like texture, those are things that you want to get checked out. If there are any changes to the nipple, any discharge on the nipple, any sores, redness, heat, that's all sort of warning signs. It doesn't necessarily mean you have cancer, but it just means like, let's dig a little bit deeper. And if you, um, so if you have just been diagnosed, couple things for you. Um, some of the best pieces of advice that I got was, you know, don't try to be a hero. Let people help you. People are going to want to help you. Let them. <laughs> don't be afraid to rest. And that's something we're going to be talking about over and over and over again. How do we create rest? How do we create space in the mind? Because sometimes there's not a lot of time. Um, you know, I know for some of these women, 
that have been diagnosed that have young kids or maybe they're in a situation where they just don't have as much support. How do we create space for you? How do we make more time? How do we find more efficient processes and utilize the resources that are out there? Definitely recommend finding a support group. Even if that sounds terrible, just try it. You can always stop going. You don't have to keep going, but for a lot of women and, um, any breast cancer patients in general, it's a huge, huge help. Just knowing that you're with other people that are going through the same thing can move mountains for you emotionally and um, give yourself a lot of grace. You know, breast cancer is basically like this very intense mirror that's being held up to your life. You have to look at the ways that you nourish yourself and the boundaries that you have or the lack of boundaries that you have, getting diagnosed with cancer, it's not your fault, but it is an opportunity for you to make changes. And like I said before, I truly feel that this is a crossroads for a lot of people. You have an opportunity here to make changes that are going to help you live a life that is more joyful, authentic, healthy, all these different things, you know, everybody's experience is different. There is no one size fits all. And you know what? There's no one right way to do this whole thing because ultimately, you know, there are going to be times when the best you can do is live moment to moment. And there is absolutely no shame in that. There's no shame in any of this. This is a learning experience. And I just want to help other people through it if I can. Um, so please, please tell me what it is that you need. Uh, we're going to be focusing a lot here on the issues that are presented to women, um, who are diagnosed with breast cancer at, on the younger side, you know, so, you know, forties and earlier, because I think that's kind of an underserved population and things like fertility, the whole children thing, um, relationships and dating, how to navigate that. There's just a lot. Um, breast reconstruction, sort of the negatives and positives to that, and, and, and a lot of stuff that we just don't really hear about from our doctors. So I want to make sure there are not so many gaps in information, but not only gaps in information, but gaps of experience. You know, um, I don't think a lot of people even consider that you don't have to get implants if you don't want to. So we're going to talk about that. But let me know what you want to know about, what you want us to talk about, what you want me to research for you and present so you can make these decisions for yourself. And um, I'm here to serve. So as we wrap up here, I will be coming to you weekly on this podcast. You can find me at my website, juniebewell.com. There are a lot of free resources there. If you were just diagnosed with breast cancer, again, please check out the Breast Cancer Grounding Kit. It's a free resource. There should be other free resources up there. And um, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, send me a DM, all that good stuff. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm working on other programs and uh, I would love to be with you on this journey and support you in any way that I can. So I hope you have a great week. 
Thank you so much for listening. And as always, I am wishing you well.